everyone, and welcome to the Resonance Test. I'm your host, Kenji Ross from EPAM Continuum. Water. It's all around us. And here in the middle of a wet New England spring, one might complain about receiving a little more of it than we'd like. But of course, not all of it is safe to drink. Contaminants in drinking water make local and national news in the U.S. near daily. But as my team learned on a recent project, many people live with unpublicized concerns about their home tap water. Enter Matt Sheehan, president and CEO of Primo Water. He's passionate about his company's ability to deliver a simple product that inspires healthier lives. In fact, as you'll soon learn, he's passionate about a lot of things, working with retailers, building strong organizational culture, balancing innovation and operations, building shareholder value by doing things that help consumers. Primo works in a space that is becoming increasingly relevant to everyone as the utility grid ages, the world's climate shifts, and private industry discovers new opportunities in the margins. How does a public company balance public health with shareholder value? How does a business find the right people to solve its problems and get out of its own way when necessary? And are retail stores a thing of the past? Matt and I sat down to solve at least a few of the world's problems. Matt, thank you so much for joining us here yeah, great to be on here. the Residence Test. It's great to have you. Um, just to start, uh, so when you look at the guests that have appeared on this podcast over over time, uh, we've got a broad variety of innovators and business leaders and people from a lot of interesting places. To my knowledge, and this isn't a complete uh, uh, audit that I've done, but to my knowledge, we have not had a bulk water CEO on this program. Um, <laughs> we've worked together over the past five months, mm-hmm. um, and I've had a bit of a chance to get immersed in what you do. Um, but for our listeners, uh, just tell us a little bit about what's what's interesting about this industry. Uh, uh, what do you tell people when you introduce yourself at a party? Yeah, no, great, great question. Uh, first, uh, I always say I come back to our purpose, and that's inspiring healthier lives through better water. And when I say that, people always take pause, and they they need to ask more. And so I, I break our purpose down into inspiring. I do believe as a dad of three. Um, there's not much more I can do better than help having folks drink and my, my family drink more water. And then it is about imp- improving our lives. <clears throat> and yet we stay very focused on being a water company. So within our purpose is packed in some aspirational. It also gives us what I call Jersey barriers, strategic. We're going to stay within the lines, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's really important for me. So, you know, for us, we, we focus all on bulk water, which is one gallon or above. And it's a razor, razor blade uh, business where we, we sell dispensers. Mm-hmm. at very low margins uh, so that we can increase household penetration. And then, uh, you know, we partner with consumers and retailers for the long term where people are coming back every week and getting, a, you know, another five-gallon uh, jug of water. Right on. Um, I want to come back to why people need to buy this water in the first place. Um, but uh, just just in your, your career arc, you came to Primo after um, working at, uh, spending time at Coinstar and Redbox. Um, uh, besides those industries falling in the category of on-demand services and things you find near the front of retail stores uh, for 1000 uh, <laughs> uh, what's the through line there? What, what's, uh, what, what has been interesting about all those things all the way through? Yeah, I love working with retailers. Some folks say that uh, they're not that fun because they have a lot of leverage, but um, I, I see it very different. When you have something innovative <clears throat> and you can allow them to take care of their own guests and their own stores better, uh, they give you a big avenue for a lot of growth quickly. And so I, I, I love it. I cut my teeth uh, working with retailers in my career. And so I love the mix of being a consumer business, which we are, 
but some folks say B2R, you know, uh, business to retail, uh, through retail. Sure. So we're, we're B2C, uh, but, you know, we're, you know, retailers give us some space in their home, if you will. And that takes a delicate uh, balance of staying consumer focused, bringing consumer research and ideas to the retailer, yet also um, realizing that you're in their living room. And you gotta you gotta treat them fairly well because it's their house you're you're in, and I I love the balance of it, and um, it takes some uh, unique skills and some patience at times. Uh, but when you get it right, it can really lead to massive growth. Is there anything you do to make sure it goes right? How do you because uh, uh, from coming from our perspective, being uh, being consumer oriented, uh, it's it's almost easier in a way. It's just no, I want to do what's best for those people. For the consumers, you're saying? For the consumers, yeah, for the, yeah. For the end consumer. I, I think you, you have to take into consideration how something looks, feels, smells, uh, comes across in a retail environment. And that, even from a design perspective, um, that will require some different lenses rather than I own the real estate, it's my store completely, and I can do whatever I want to do. I like the balance of it, um, mostly because the end product is tens of thousands of people checking out in that store alone. Um every single week. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the way we do it is we, we ask a lot of questions of retailers. We understand deeply their purpose and missions and values. And when you, when you blend them together and you have a product that continues to grow and, and making money, then there's a little bit of sort of marriage there. And that's, that's, that's what we try to do. Yet we work with very smart people, very smart retailers, and they are not shy telling us sort of what they need, where we need to be in the future. I love the balance. Sure, sure. Uh, speaking of uh, of, of uh, interesting people and, and smart people, um, I'm I'm uh, personally fascinated by company culture. Um, over my career, I've seen companies that I've worked for made or broken by um, the prevailing attitude of the people inside of them, um, and especially in organizations of your size, I think uh, I think Primo has a like a nice amount of a, a nice size, yep. a, a size where Agreed. people people know each other. Um, and over the time we worked together, I got to know some people in your organization pretty well. Um, and I came away, uh, not just impressed by their, their skills at doing the work and their thoughtfulness, but, um, in the way that everybody interacts, um, in, in the organization, uh, you have a workplace culture where people don't feel afraid to speak up in meetings, to challenge you, uh, to, to, to bring what they have to the table. Um, how do you, how do you do that? How do you cultivate that? Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, well, thanks. That's, uh, I'm not surprised you said that. We have an awesome team, and I'm really proud of the team that we've selected. Um, some of those folks have grown with us um, since early days, and some of the folks we handpicked. And so we're pretty picky about the people who get to carry our flag. Um, you know, for me, I, I do believe, and one of my core mantras is, I don't care about being right. I care about getting it right. And so if, if you really believe in that, then it doesn't matter where the ideas come from. And mm-hmm. in fact, I I really make sure our team tells me I'm wrong because I can run with ideas fast. Um, and so can others in them. And you've met some of our leaders, not shy leaders. They'll, they'll go when they believe it's right. I think we need a moment to just uh, check ourselves and use the right data, use the right gut feelings um, to do that. I think uh, so, so that belief is really deep in my core, which is let's get it right. Don't worry about being right. That throws ego away which if you have a big ego, Primo's not a great place mm-hmm. um, for, for you because we, don't, we aren't shy to tear apart some ideas and it's part of the journey. <clears throat> and then you need people who are strong enough to do it. And you need people who are strong enough to manage up sideways and down. Um, and we're not a big hierarchy person, but you need to be willing for everybody to challenge ideas. And if you can get all that together, and we're far from perfect at it. Uh, we, we still have opportunities where... Uh, you know, I'll brainstorm in a meeting 
And two weeks later, somebody's working at it. And I'm like, I don't know, we were just brainstorming. So, you know, we have, we have to sort of, I think, modulate that at times. But I think if you, if you welcome it, if you truly believe that it's not about your ego, it's about getting it right, then um, that can really sort of purvey through everything. And then you got to get the right people. And you have to constantly, constantly talk about um, failure is okay. Little, little failure is okay. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, big yeah. failure isn't, but little failure is okay. Yes. Test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. And if you can do that over time and show some success with it, everybody in your organization will start to see it. Oh, okay, well, that person just got put on stage, but they failed three times and then found the solution. Mm -hmm. And then they just got the company award. That will take years to change. So this is another example for me of it could take years to change a culture in an organization. Yeah. And it's tough. It, culture isn't a bolt-on, right? It is. It is something that has to be at the core uh, of an organization for that to work. How do you um, How do you screen people? How do you get pe How do you get those people when you've only you only get to talk to them for a couple hours before you decide whether to hire them or not? Well, we we uh, we are not shy about the amount of people we'll ask you uh, to interview with. Um, I think the average is eight to nine. Um, it's a full day. Oftentimes, even to get to the building, you'll have talked to two or three people uh, several times just to get just to get through the sort of through the, you know, the, the fulcrum there, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think that's a, that's a really big piece of it. Then we do two things. One is we, we go after values a lot, meaning we have a core set of values and our purpose that I mentioned before, and we try to get under the covers of these folks truly resourceful. Are they smart? Two of our values. Uh, do they have integrity, empathy, um, community and, uh, and commitment are, are, are two others. So we'll have questions that dig deep in that. We've also realized over the last couple of years that we're a, we're a challenger brand, we're a challenger company. When you think about what we're taking on, primarily it's tap water. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a bit of plastic in there as well, though, but the world is, I think, hopefully the world and the American consumer, all consumers get more aligning to the, the products that put the environment first. And we do a really good job of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to make sure that people um, will challenge me and others. Uh, to back to your, your your last question, so I that my question in interviews is, uh, what pisses you off? And people look at me a little funny, and then um, I've heard people say things like, "Well, you know, it it made me mad when I didn't get the the right GMAT score." And mm -hmm. I'm like, "Oh no, 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 that's not that's not challenging. <laughs> that's not going to cut it here." Um, and then you have people who openly share personal challenges and what frustrated them and the way they came through it, and you know somebody is going to last when it's a rainy day in the business. And we all every great company usually has gone through really important rainy days. Mm -hmm. um, it's the people who can have some grit and, and can, can handle some of the bad days and who will keep coming at it. And, and that's what I try to find out so people don't run for the hills every time you have a bad moment because you're going you're gonna to push too hard. You're going to overextend at times. You need people who are going to be like, that's all right. Let's, let's dig in, guys, and let's go get it. Yeah. The, the flip side of the, the test and learn culture that you mentioned, I think is the example you gave, like two weeks later, someone's doing the thing. Um, and I've seen other organizations that are um, that have indexed so hard on test and learn and be agile and, and try things out that everybody is always trying things out. And and you get people who are very unfocused and are trying to run ten initiatives at once. Uh, how do you manage that? It definitely happens. And I think at some point you want to let it happen. So you have folks who are naturally innovative and they naturally lean into that direction. You want to give them a little bit of 
you know, the old 20% rule from Google, which is, you know, work on whatever you want in 20%. Yeah. I don't think Google came up with it, but um, they use it a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we, uh, certainly in our marketing innovation teams, um, we're not hovering on them on every project. In fact, as projects are launching now, like the baby dispenser, or last year, the pet dispenser. I didn't know about it two years ago. They were working on on the side, and that's exactly the big light bulbs that can have. So I, I think what you want to do is you want to openly communicate the key projects and the key um, targets for the year and talk about them a lot. But then give people what I, call, what I always call the right-hand column. I don't care what's in your right-hand column. If you're working on some things in your right-hand column, that's great because that's probably two, three, four years out. Mm. So I do hope some folks are doing the you know the right-hand columns, Is but we got to openly and uh, consistently communicate about these are the top five projects this year. You've got to hit the top five projects. Well, hopefully the right-hand column ones show up as a surprise in a year or two and say, oh, I'm glad they were working on it. That's nice. Because it seems from your, you know, in your job, you could get overwhelmed uh, trying to keep up with all the right-hand column stuff that would be going on. Oh, I, uh, yes. Uh, not only the ones that the team has, the ones I have. I have to actually modulate the, the pace at which I throw ideas to the organization mm -hmm. because I will feel like it's, it's right in the middle lane of our purpose yet, but I wasn't talking about it yesterday. And I could really love the idea. So I have to even be careful about um, how to modulate sort of the, the pace at which I bring on ideas. And we just we keep a, a long list of ideas that we'll sort of, you know, inject or and a lot of those, even mine, they're just not good ideas. Mm. They feel good at a day. And then you walk into another meeting and somebody says, oh, no, Matt, that won't work for these five reasons. So, okay, well, it's it's done. So um, yeah, I think you have to watch it. They always feel good for the first day. Oh, they're great ideas they're, for the first day. Oh man. <laughs> and if they were just and if they would just existed and could be done then, then you'd be you'd be in great shape. Yeah. Um so knowing that you you um have cultivated that culture and and have some of those capabilities internally, um why six months ago did you start getting into maybe more than that, getting into a search for an outside partner to do some of this design and innovation work? Yeah, I think I think ideation uh, is a probably small piece of the of the overall puzzle of how to innovate a business. You need people who are very good about bringing those ideas uh, to bear, and so that's not necessarily our strength. And certainly in design, where we you know we have one person who has a background in design, we needed somebody to really help think holistically about design. We have a lot of good ideas. We understand water. We understand the the water consumer, and we certainly understand retailers really well. Um, we watch the trends, but there's a big gap between knowing that um, strategic factual information versus how do you bring solutions uh, to the consumers that look, feel, smell um, uh, right. So, you know, for us, we needed to reach outside and and say, all right, we have some ideas, or we have a problem, or we want to we want to grow faster than we want to do, and we need some help doing it. So, I, I think it's a blend of be good at what you're good at, mm -hmm. and when you know you're not good at something, or you're overextending your own team. And let's go get some outside help. And we've been really pleased so far. So were you looking for a partner to that that was good at some of the same things that you were good at to to for that for that synergy? Or is it were you looking for a completely complementary inverse kind of partner? I think uh, complementary um, because for us it was uh, there was synergy in terms of value. Not a vendor that we work with that in some way, shape, or form doesn't share our values. So just like we think about people. When you know when we meet all kinds of uh, vendors, we do they operate with our values? That has to be synergistic. So once you have that, though, what we needed was complementary skills. Is folks who naturally take 
um, a business problem or challenge and say, well, let's think about this from a very different ways to do it. Not to mention, um, I like to think about um, sort of anecdotes and analogs a lot. So how do you find a solution for our company based on what somebody else did in a different industry? Mm-hmm. There are so many synergies, to use your word, um, like that, that I we just don't have that experience per se. So for us, we were make sure we get good people we trust and have our values, check. And now let's let's get people in here who are going to think and challenge us very differently than the way we operate. Uh, because businesses can run on assumptions and beliefs, and you can run for years on those same beliefs, even if they're wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so um, having gone through the process with us now, coming out on the other end of it after five months, um, I mean, you've worked for uh, innovative companies before. You've worked at places that are that have done interesting new things. Um, how was the process that you and and the whole company went through uh, that was different than what you've seen in the past? Yeah, the framework uh, that you've all used um, to get where we are now uh, is is fa- is fascinating. So I wouldn't have come up with the framework um, that you all used on our own. I just wouldn't have. We would have probably done it differently. Um, the way you all have talked to consumers in field. So this was you quickly got out of the data, out of the spreadsheets, and got into yeah. But let's really go talk to uh, Nancy Jones at the Walmart on you know two Main Street. Mm-hmm. Let's go talk to her and understand why she does what she does and how she got here and what decisions led there. And that is um, that has been just uh, a thousand light bulbs for us in terms of uh, different ways to look at things and assumptions we we thought. So we've we've loved the the approach, and uh, I think we're just scratching the surface of some of the insights that could help us really really grow the business in the future. That's great to hear. Um, does it change, does seeing this process change the way you view internal teams or the way that you would set up future things? Uh, yes. And it also highlights something we've already started to do. So, uh, Maria Mullen, who runs this uh, project for us, um, absolute superstar, uh, like her values are so, so high. She's got incredible intelligence. She's a challenger by nature. And so she was the right person. Well, about six months before you all got involved, we switched Maria's uh, role from head of sales, so very focused on doing deals with retailers and setting programs with retailers. Very metrics-based, yeah. Very metrics-based um, to a role of head of consumer experience. And uh, not everybody totally understood what that meant um, early on. Um, the senior team did, and certainly uh, Maria and I talked a lot about it. And uh, it's been a breath of fresh air. And so uh, I, I share Maria's example because we started that long before you all uh, got involved, but she and I talked and said, we, we need some outside help here because we're, we just need to look at things differently. But it was sort of riding the wave we started, which let's point this business, everything we can towards the consumer. If you win with the consumer, the retailers are just going to love you for a long time. If you lose the consumer, you're going to have a challenge. We just, we, we've got a great consumer business. We help families drink 25 to 30% more water already. We're amazing to the environment. And so we have some great sort of pillars, um, and consumer-focused pillars. Now let's lean into that consumer even more. And you know, we're finding all kinds of ways that, frankly, we're not doing a great job today and we can do better. And so Maria was a statement for us to point to the consumer. And uh, you all were you know, a partner with her in this process to let's, uh, let's accentuate that in a way. And I think we're just getting started. Mm-hmm. That, that awareness, it, 
it's easy to sit here now and say, yeah, we hit this point where we felt like we should look outside the organization. Um, but there, it takes a certain uh, incredible self-awareness. To, I mean, you're, you've, got, you've got a backlog of ideas, of innovations you've already got internally. You've got uh, trust in your organization. You've got um, uh, operational things to optimize. Like, how do you, how, how do you become self-aware that you should be looking outside the organization? Good question. Uh, I believe that there's two really important uh, things. Uh, it's so a combo of two almost values. I won't use values per se, but traits, if you will, humility and drive. And so I constantly ask myself, um, is there somebody better around the corner? Are we doing the right things? Is somebody chasing us? Um, are we going to be out of favor uh, sometime soon? Regardless of any business I've led, I've, I've always asked that question. And so um, you tack drive to that, which is a, a, a pure desire to win and perform for the consumer, um, that gets, uh, that gets pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. But I'll, I'll just come back to uh, humility. Um, I think Andrew Grove said it. He's the head of Intel. He wrote a book called Only the Paranoid Survive. And it's not paranoid as in we don't sleep, but I think there's a very healthy skepticism that says the second you stop, somebody will pass you. And so I think we have that in Primo, and we're mm -hmm. constantly asking ourselves about um, the change of the times, how technology is is changing. Um, and frankly, for us, we think the trends are going certainly in our favor, and they will for decades. Tap water just continues to decrease and degrade, and I think that's only going to continue to happen at a larger scale. And so, for us, uh, <clears throat> Kenji, it's really about it's about asking questions about us and checking: Are we still going in the right path at the same pace the consumer needs to go to? And so, you know, for us, it was pretty easy to say, you know what, I think over the last couple of years, we've done a lot to improve our business, our gross margins, um, things like that. But let's, let's really point back towards the consumer. And um, that's, that's been helpful so far. So you've got uh, consumers you're thinking about. You've got retailers and buyers you're thinking about. Um, but you're also a public company. Mm -hmm. um, and... I am by no means a market expert. I'm actually terrible about that stuff. <laughs> but um, it seems to me from a layperson's perspective that the market rewards uh, short-term thinking a lot more than it rewards broad, long-term visions. And it's more like, what have you done for me lately? And, and what, are, what are this quarter's profits like? Um, how, do you, how do you balance that? How do you look beyond small gains in your role? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I fully agree. I think uh, I think the great investors um, have long-term lenses, and so you know when we talk to investors, a lot have been with us for ten years or, or plus. They believe in the long-term thesis that we have, and and they know that we're going to have some killer quarters and we're going to have some tough quarters. And and, and the, I think the ones that have stuck with us for a long time, even some of our new folks, um, those are the ones that I believe in the thesis for 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 the for the long for the long term. Um, uh, so let me circle this one a little bit. I actually love being um, running a public company because it does force you to do both. So I don't believe you can just totally forget about the short-term results. Um, I also know enough companies where you know they totally forgot the long-term. And so what we try to do is we try to invest in the long-term um, at a pace that's um, allowable for us in our economics. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to be razor sharper in your performance. So I love it. I love the fact that um, you know while I'm, I'm here, there's a there's a meeting uh, back at the office, um, one of many today that is really digging into some of our core metrics in the past thirty days. And so while we're talking about long term design, 
you you also have to talk metrics. So um, one last note on that is we've really turned uh, Primo around using a balanced scorecard. Balanced scorecard is a is a metric measure, really a, a process of using metrics to measure every team, the company, and every individual. It's called a balanced scorecard on purpose because everybody's got to be operating at least decent mm. um, for, for the whole company to go. And so uh, no different than that is short-term and long-term have to be taken care of. And you have to be putting enough pressure on ourselves to uh, operate really well every 90 days. Uh, but you do not have to sacrifice long-term. I just don't buy that at all. And I think you, in fact, you have to lean on the long-term while you sort of take care of the short-term. The balance thing is interesting, for sure. Um, you don't win by having one team do really well at the expense of the other team. Never works. Right, right. And then you can have an organization where people are feel free to jump into other people's problems and totally and and help out in a in a more uh, organizational centric sort of way. Yeah, we talk about uh, when I when I joined. So this was uh, about uh, six plus years ago. I got a rugby ball, and uh, what the company still is good at, which is a great trait is when there's a fire, everybody goes towards the fire. It's actually a great trait of our DNA. We are not afraid to go fix stuff, and we'll have things to fix. We fixed a lot over the last you know, six years and, and, and plus. But what I, I remember everybody, I had everybody sign the, uh, the rugby ball, and I said, okay, rugby's done. Now it's swim lanes. It doesn't mean that every time you don't do a relay where you jump into somebody's lane and help them. But you've got to pass the baton, and it has to be their job. Because if everybody's running towards the fire, if you will, mm -hmm. nobody's taking care of 95% of the business that's still out there and operating okay. And so we've tried to shift to to go away from the rugby scrum. The scrum. Is it the yeah. scrum? Mm -hmm. uh, and more towards a swim lane, which is that's your role and that's your lane. Do it as good as anybody in the world. And when you're done, pass the baton and trust, which is a big word, trust the next swimmer, if you will, mm -hmm. to take it the distance. And um, I think that's helped. We, we stumble at times because we all want to, there's a hero in all of us and yeah. we all want to say, okay, there's something broken. Um, I'm, I'm in it. I'm, let me roll my sleeves up and let's dig in and fix. I think we also have to remind ourselves that, hey, we've got a really amazing team. Let them fix it and get out of their way. That's a tough balance for us. I think we've done a decent job of it. Nice. Let's see how many sport metaphors we can get into this into this conversation. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the product the Primo provides. Uh, in a lot of places, uh, in in our research, in in what you guys have told us, uh, uh, Primo is providing drinking water to people who feel that what comes out of their tap is either unsafe or just unappetizing. Um, and so, in some ways, you are providing a solution to a problem that's traditionally been a municipal responsibility um through that lens uh, how does how does the company view itself well i i believe we're a partner for municipalities uh more than anything i, I think uh, tap water by design is flawed so, so ch check this for a second so you 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 put pipes under concrete um and they're way down under concrete and it's expensive to wreck concrete and then go rebuild piping some of the stuff was done 8,500 years ago, and it's still bringing water to your home. Um, lead piping was used up until 1986. We've all heard of Flint, Michigan at this point in lead. And so I think the troubles are, are, are still ahead of us in a, in, a, in a big way. But I don't look at ourselves as, a, as an enemy of the municipalities. In fact, um, we've got some positive feedback, which is our job of calling it out, which I think we've been 
pretty brave to do. Mm. Some folks are saying, you know, potentially let's let's partner, let's partner up in a way. Frankly, there's a lot of American cities have nothing to do with Primo. They don't have the money to go dig up every sidewalk and fix all the piping. On average, the American house has 10 million, uh, 10 miles of pipe to get from the water plant to the house. We're not going to fix that anytime soon. Sure. Right. The EPA says it, it would take us $300 billion to fix um, all of that. We're not, we're not even coming close. So um, I, my hope is actually that more uh, mayors, governors, and all that look to us as, oh, you mean we could put a dispenser in everybody's home? That's that's what we're what we're trying to do. So I, I don't I think it is a partnership um, for the future more than anything. That's interesting uh, because you um, you're a, you're a public company, but you're not a B corp. You aren't you aren't um, you, you still have the the shareholder responsibilities. Um, are you able to make decisions that are the right things for people, but don't necessarily point to shareholder value? You know, on their face. Um, I. I I think so, although typically they're, they're one and the same, hmm. meaning um, if we're helping cities or retailers or consumers drink better water, it's going to help a shareholder. I don't know of a lot of examples where um, we did something for a consumer that didn't help a shareholder um, and, 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 and you know, vice versa in, in any general way. So I think there's usually a lot of, um, a lot of alignment on that. Cool. Um. I want to talk also about the wild world of retail. You yeah. have you have clear fondness for it, um, uh, but retails. Uh, uh, if you are to look in in the um, at at the way retail is is uh, perceived publicly, mm-hmm. uh, it's on its way out. It's it's over. <laughs> uh, we're all doing first and third party delivery. We got curbside pickup, click and collect, lockers. Uh, uh, you know, um, where 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 is retail going? This is a big question. Yeah, so I, I, love, I love this one. I get it a lot. Uh, I, I actually remember I had an investor in my office, and he said uh, Amazon was going to take out all of the retails. And five minutes later, you know, uh, my uh, my phone sort of blew up with Amazon just bought Whole Foods. And I leaned over and I said, "You think he did? You think Bezos did that for DCs? I don't think so. I think he's realizing that delivering to the home is is actually difficult and it's expensive." And yet retail has this ability to really welcome in customers. And so what I do think is happening, I do think we're getting a culling, a culling of um, old school uh, retail that just hasn't caught up with uh, uh, the techno savvy uh, consumer. And and I think they're getting lost. Yet when you look at what uh, Amazon and Walmart and and, and others are doing with, with technology, I think there's something very special about the retail space. It will change. It will look different. But if you think about um, even for us, the retailers where we're most focused on, mass, home improvement, certainly you know a lot of grocery, convenience, they're all doing just fine. And some of them are doing amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think retail will change. I think we all need to think about um, a, a morphing mix where some, f- some products will be delivered to the home more, some products will be picked up at curb more. I don't see retail going away anytime soon. I think it'd be a, um, uh, I think it'd be a mesh, and we have to consider the way consumers live. So I've got three kids. Myself and my wife are bouncing all around town between baseball and soccer and gymnastics, and that's how life works. Life is a big mesh. It's not let me order everything I can for the next week, and I don't have to do anything else. 
Good luck if you have that kind of visibility to your home because we don't. And it is a moving target, and which is, oh, I forgot lettuce last week. Let's go get some. Or mm-hmm. what, it's taco night tonight, but I don't have any taco shells. Um, that stuff will happen constantly. So I think we all in retail need to be very focused on the consumer, understand technology is having a play. Uh, retail's not going away anytime soon, though. Great. All right. Well, I want to close this out uh, by saying first how much I've enjoyed working with your company. Um, when this work came across my desk back in December, um, I, I I will admit I paused for a minute and said, oh, "Water company, huh? Yeah, that's five gallon jugs, huh? big yeah. big amounts of water." Yeah. Um, but I've long I've long felt um, in this line of work that there's an interesting angle to to uncover in every company that you look into. Um, and it turns out your industry is fascinating, uh, uh, the, especially your employees, the strange uh, shifting retail environment, uh, the really interesting, wonderful people that buy your product. Um, it's, been, it's been a fun ride. And I just wanted to say get, thank you for giving me the excuse to uh, meet them all. <laughs> well, thank you for, for the time and all the work you guys have done. This has been, uh, been great. And I think we're on to something big. Thanks, Matt. Great. Thanks. The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and music and water, and we love hearing how different people go about doing this repeatedly. EPAM Continuum is a global innovation design firm with studios in Boston, Milan, and Shanghai. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation, For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. From our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about EPAM Continuum and the work we do, go to epam-continuum.com. Thanks to Matt Sheehan for a really enjoyable conversation. Many thanks to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. And unending appreciation to Ken Gordon, our producer, for his masterminding behind the scenes. This has been The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Kenji Ross. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. (laughs) 